Okay, welcome back to the Captivatingly Confident Podcast. I am so excited for this episode. It's been a long time in the making. Today, I'm really excited to be joined by a very special guest whom I'm particularly fond of. Uh Tim Ludeman is in the house, ladies and gentlemen. Woo! Thank you, Kim. Welcome to the show. This is not your first appearance. It is not my first appearance. I'm a veteran of the show. (laughs) And by veteran, Tim means that we've done one other episode before. 12 years ago. Two years ago. Two years ago. And it was right at the beginning of COVID. Do you remember that one? It was right at the beginning of COVID, wasn't it? Yeah. We were talking about COVID anxiety. That's right. Yeah. So if you're interested in that conversation, I will make sure to put that in the show notes linked below so that you can access that and hear some thoughts from both of us on anxiety and COVID. Uh, I mean, anxiety is applicable anytime, not just in the face of a global pandemic. Very true. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Would you, well, hold on before I get to that. So let me give a brief rundown for those that are listening. Uh, Tim, tell, actually you tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about what you do in this world as far as the magic that you have. And (laughs) my magic is vast. (laughs) So (laughs) I knew it. Thank you for setting me up with that one. That was great. That was nice. That was nice. No, so I am a professional counselor. Um, Had my own private practice since 2008. So Has it really been that? It has been that long. It's been a long time. Wow. It's been a long time. Yeah. So um, ever since COVID hit, been doing all sessions via video, which is a whole new ballgame. So kind of fun, kind of different. Um, Some people don't like it as much, but I'd say 95. 5% 5% of people seem to think it's great and yeah. they're digging it. And then a lot of people who never would have come to counseling before otherwise are now able to do it. Yeah. So I think that's a really cool benefit of being able to do it via video right now. Um, and so excited to have that new platform as an opportunity to be able to reach more people that way. Uh, mm-hmm. But I do individual counseling and couples counseling in my practice. So what is your favorite thing about counseling? Like, what is it that really just lights you up when you are working with individuals and couples? I mean, you know, when people ask me about my job, they oftentimes say, you know, oh, I could never do that because I don't want to just listen to people talk about their problems all day long. And yes, there are moments where you're like, okay, I just listen to people talk about their problems all day long, feel a little bit down maybe, but I'd say most of the time, It's really fun to hear people be able to talk about, yes, some problems are going on, but also to hear about the victories that are going on too, Mm -hmm. and be able to help walk with people from a place of, oh my gosh, I have these problems, I don't know what to do with them, to, hey, I've got some problems, but I actually know what to do with them now, and here's what I'm going to keep doing. So I think that's really fun, and that's really encouraging me to see people take those steps forward and to know that I was at least able to play a part in them figuring out how to take some of those steps forward and watching them do it. So that's really exciting. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Just seeing people have those aha moments and feel empowered with the tools that you talk about and then they're able to apply those and see how their life can be different. And yeah, getting hope where maybe before there was just a lot of helplessness. Hmm. 
Yeah. And mm-hmm. where even just helping people to see that, hey, there are options, there are possibilities, there are things here that, you know what, I just never thought about. And, mm-hmm. you know, we were joking before about the word magic, but, you know, nothing in counseling is magic. It's just, hey, how do we help ourselves to recognize these different options and possibilities? And let's try these out. Let's try some of these different options out that I never tried before. Or maybe I knew an option, but I didn't know how to. And so now we're learning tools for how to try out new options and new ways of doing things. And then once we do it and realize, oh, wow, I can actually do this one thing. Maybe there's something else I can do. And maybe there's a third thing I can do. And now we got momentum moving forward. And that's really fun. Yeah, that is fun. It's really interesting how powerful perspective shifts can be. Absolutely. And I love that you get to help people have those shifts in those moments. That's beautiful. And I'm so glad that's something that we both get to do. Yes, me too. That's just, yeah, our poor kids, (laughs) two mental health professionals in the family. (laughs) (laughs) I make a joke with a lot of people that our kids don't have college funds, that they have therapy funds. And it's a joke slash seriousness because even I think, you know, as mental health professionals that we still, you know, have moments of messing up and, you know, no matter how much of an emotionally intelligent and present and aware parent that you are, that your kids are still going to have struggles and they're still going to, you know, have to figure things out on their own, just like every single person (laughs) ever has had to do. Yep, absolutely. And even though, you know, you and I both read a ton of books and been to a ton of trainings and uh, got certain certifications or degrees, it's like, you know, we still go to the counseling. We Mm -hmm. still have our own counselors. That's Mm -hmm. still something that's important in our lives. Yes. Um, Just because we've read some books or done the trainings and have certifications or degrees, that doesn't mean, you know, we think we've got it all figured out. It means that, okay, we might have a few more tools than some people do, but are we actually going to use those tools? Um, cause today I'm kind of ticked off. I don't want to use those tools, Kim. So I'm not going to, um, <laughs> that there are days that we feel that way. Yeah. And so we do our own counseling and help, yes, learn new tools, but also learn how to use the tools we already have and be more consistent with it. Yeah. And we want to help our kids to do that too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, how long have we been married, Tim? It's a great question, Kim. We've been married since the year 2009. Wow. Yeah. Wow, when we were just little babies. Yes. Getting yes. married, somebody said it was okay for us to get married in our early 20s, and we did. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. And here we are nearly 14 years later. Right. Two houses, two cars, two kids. We only own one house. Well, no, our first house. This is our second house. Okay. Two, Got it. Two houses. Two houses two. ever. Ever. Not right now. No. No. I mean, we could talk about that. Yeah, because this is important, Kim. Because you know, I'm more literal than you are. So when you say two houses and two cars, we've owned more than two cars. As you can see, folks, <laughs> this is what I'm talking about right here. So <laughs> that I do communication the right way, and my wife has things to learn. Oh boy, this will be fine. Oh boy, it'll be fine. Okay, so what are what are we really want to do in this episode? Is we really want to have a conversation about conflict and communication because I think that while we are no expert, I mean, if you're looking for a marriage or relationship expert, you're really going to want to go to the Gottmans. Um, they're going to have 
so much more material and scientific studies. We have the experiential piece as of working with couples and individuals on communication and conflict. But I think we also have the experiential knowledge in our relationship. It's just coming from, you know, I think it's fair to say that neither of us had conflict modeled for us in any way. We never saw our parents fight. Sure. So (laughs) it was, you know, there's been some really big learning curves for us and learning how to, to communicate and how to have conflict. And I think what we've really rolled into in the last, I would say, two years is really finding a place where conflict has become a lot more constructive right? rather than destructive and something that feels like it's separating us, but rather it's something that's actually bringing us together. Right. Do you think that that's accurate? Well, and I think that's, I mean, one place that you and I have really grown in and really been able to more effectively share with each other, one, what's bothering us, and then also be able to do it in a way that is less intimidating and less defensive Mm -hmm. and helps each other either to not shut down or to not get as angry. Um, That we're trying to find ways to do conflict in a way that it actually is beneficial. And again, that's the teaching that I try and tell pretty much every couple I meet with is that, you know, again, the goal is not to never have conflict or never have an argument Mm -hmm. because if we're never arguing, that usually means that we're sweeping stuff under the rug and that means that we're just avoiding topics. Mm -hmm. That's generally what that means if people tell you that they never argue. Um, So what we're trying to figure out is how do we, whatever term you want to use, whether it's argue, whether it's have conflict, whether it's just have communication in a sense that is actually productive communication, productive conflict. So at the end of it, we can say like, Hey, I understand you better. I understand where you're coming from better. And that doesn't mean I necessarily agree with 100% of what you said, but Mm -hmm. I'm at a better place of understanding you. And I hope you're at a better place of understanding me too. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you said that. I think that's something that you know, we've gotten into, especially me as, you know, an Enneagram three and you're an Enneagram nine, which for those of you listening who are Enneagram connoisseurs, uh, Tim's the peacemaker and the conflict avoider. And I'm a three. I love to talk things through and figure it out and get to the bottom of it and really resolve conflict really quickly (laughs) without a lot of feelings, just a lot of, um, a lot of directed energy at the other person Bl- mm-hmm. blaming comes to mind, but we'll get okay. to that in just a sec. <laughs> but where I was going with that is I think that a struggle that we've gotten into and that we see other people getting into is the idea that there's only one truth right? and that you can't disagree. And so then it becomes this almost like this, proving game of like, I have to get you to agree with me. I've got to get you on my side. And that brings just the criticism and the, yeah, that real desperate proving lack energy versus the like, okay, so that's your truth. That's your opinion. That's your thought. I can be curious about that while having a different one. Yeah, We don't have to be on the same wavelength. We don't have to agree on everything. We can be on the same page about things, but I don't have to convince you and you don't have to convince me. Right. It's not a courtroom. It's a, there's two truths. There's duality. Yeah. 
And it seems like that's lacking in that people are just, it becomes this like this round and round and round cycle of trying to convince the other person. Yeah. And I think that that's where a lot of conflict gets escalated when we or people have that need or that desire, that thing inside that says, okay, I have to convince this person. Mm -hmm. This person clearly doesn't know what they're talking about, or they clearly have flaw in their argument. So now I need to- You can be sometimes. There was that one time. Yep. (laughs) Yep. But I don't like to talk about it because it's a sensitive sensitive subject. But um, (laughs) that if we have that feeling inside of us that I have to convince you, I have to um, show you the error of your ways, even, you know, for, for her benefit, I need to show her the error of her, you know, then that's going to bring up so much energy. That's going to bring up so much emotion. That's going to bring unhelpful emotion. Um, That's going to bring up so much just um, the the lack of what you said earlier. And the word you used earlier that I love is the curiosity word. Mm. Because when we're trying to prove something to someone else, we're not being curious. The curiosity has gone out the window at that point because I'm trying to prove my point. But if I hear something from you or you hear something from me, you're like, hey, wait a second. What's that all about? Huh, I don't really understand that. And I want to understand that. So I'm going to be curious. I'm going to ask questions about that versus I don't understand that because that's stupid and wrong. And let me tell you what's right. Um, That's not curiosity. That's just trying to prove my point. Yeah. And then it's easier to get into that critical space too and starting to criticize the other person and pick them apart for having this view and that lack of curiosity. Absolutely. Yeah. I think a big part of staying curious is is partly staying grounded, don't you think? Because that criticism is wrapped up in like trying to get someone to understand you and to feel understood. And when we're not understood, for a lot of us, that can trigger a lot of childhood wounding around feeling sure. misunderstood, missed, not seen. So do you have... Any suggestions for people who maybe when they're in an argument, they start to notice that they feel really escalated or maybe they're a little bit shaky or they feel like they want to run or they just get really tense in their bodies or just notice a lot of physical sensations. Do you have suggestions for how to stay grounded in conflict? Well, I mean, I think the word curious, again, applies not just to our partners, but to ourselves. So step one, before we try and do something about our problem, right, is we want to understand what what is going on for me. What is actually happening right now for me? Is it, you know, is it, okay, my heart feels like it's pounding in my chest. My breath seems faster. Um, I'm feeling scared about something or I'm feeling pressure in my chest. And I think, you know, again, for most of us, Either one, we're going to be able to look back at times in our recent history where that's happened. Or if we can't think of those times, you know, write it down, make a note for yourself so that literally in the future, like I'm saying in the coming week or two, try and ask yourself, like, hey, what am I feeling right now? You know, next time you're talking to your partner and there's even a twinge of stress or anxiety, hey, let me pause for one minute and what am I feeling right now? What's going on inside of me at this moment? And be curious. 
checking in with yourself with that. Um, and, and let your partner know what you're doing. Don't just be quiet and stare at them and <laughs> make them guess what's happening. I know my wife loves it when I'm quiet and stare at her. That's her favorite. Well, and that's something we've come so far in. I remember when we were dating and when we were first married, you would kind of check out a little bit. And it's not that you were doing it purposefully, but your when you were in conflict, it was so uncomfortable that you just kind of went internal and kind of stopped communicating as effectively. And now you're able to say, you know what, I just need a second, like, or I'm thinking that through or hold on, give me a moment to, to process that. Right. And you've put language to that. And it's so helpful to even just let your partner know what's happening for you. Absolutely. So that they're not just sitting there like thinking that you're stonewalling or that you are dissociating or that you are checked out of the conversation or that you don't care. Cause that's not true for, at least for you, that's not true. You're just taking a moment, but not verbalizing that you're taking that moment. Right. And so now, because again, I've, I've worked on it and practiced it quite a bit. I'm able to say usually, Hey Kim, I'm just thinking about that for a minute. Whereas in the past I would, I would just be totally quiet sitting there thinking, still engage in my mind, still engage in the conversation because, well, I'm thinking about it, but Kim is sitting there having no earthly idea what I'm doing <laughs> and making up fun stories in her head about what it is I might be doing because I didn't communicate and I didn't actually share what was happening. And so those were cases where we had unhelpful conflict between us because there was one story going on in my mind and a totally different story going on in Kim's mind at the exact same moment, and we were missing each other. Yeah. And that's a perfect segue into one of the things that I think we've both found really helpful um, and things that we've been coaching people on for a long time is stories. Right. And how we all have stories. We have stories about everything. And some of those stories we're conscious of and some we're not. And becoming curious about our experience, what's happening for us, both physiologically, emotionally, and mentally, and then being able to understand, okay, well, what is the story that I'm telling myself right now? Right. And kind of asking myself or, you know, bringing that to the table. And that can be really helpful in communication as well is explaining the story that you have, you know, Brené Brown, we both, we love you, Brené, just in case you're listening. She's lovely. She is lovely. She talks a lot about this and about, you know, how she and her husband, Steve, how they have conflict. And when they do, they use a framework of the story I'm telling myself is, and then inserting the story there. Right. And what do you think it is about that that is so neutralizing? Like what makes that work? I think there's a few things. Um, one is just in general, when we say, Hey, the story I'm telling myself, we're now verbalizing to our partner that there's a possibility that this story isn't 1000% truth. Yeah. Versus the times where we say you're being a selfish jerk, you know, that, that is very much something that is going to put our partner on the defensive and understandably so and communicate a message that is very negative. And also the idea that, well, because of what I know and because of what I've seen and because of what I've heard, here's what you are. You're that selfish jerk, you know, versus 
that idea of, hey, the story I'm telling myself right now is that because you said or did this, maybe you don't really care about this situation. That we are now at least leaving room for the possibility that, hey, this story may not be totally true. And again, because of what I know about you and because of what I've learned about you in our marriage or relationship, that I'm guessing there's probably elements of it that actually aren't true. So by framing it that way as saying, hey, this is the story I'm telling myself, can you fill in the gaps? Can you tell me how much of this story is actually true? Um, here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I'm feeling. Here's what I saw. Here's what I experienced. Here's my story. Tell me what's true in your story. Tell me what I'm missing. Um, we're, we're opening the door for our partners to fill in those gaps for us. And we're being very clear to them that we know there's gaps here versus when I come to you and I say, well, here's the truth, Kim, and you got to get on board or here's the truth. And you got to straighten up, um, that, There's no wiggle room there. There's no room for correction. There's no room for adjusting that story because I've already made up my mind and conversations can't really go very far when we say we've already made up our minds. Um, So when we can say, Hey, the story I'm telling myself is this, that means I'm open to other possibilities. I'm open to other portions of this story or having this story edited at least to create a more accurate and truthful story. Yeah. And then that allows for more curiosity, right? Because then I could say, you know, what's the story that you're telling yourself right now? Or I can get curious about what it could be for you knowing what I know about your wounds. And I think that that's, you know, one of the things when you're really invested in a relationship is is knowing other people's wounding and, you know, getting curious about that and the stories around the wounds and, you know, it also invites curiosity, like you said, for yourself. Like, what is the story I'm telling myself? <laughs> I don't even know. And taking a moment, and I think you said that earlier, just like, give me a second. Like, giving ourselves permission to pause, because it's easy yeah. to get wrapped up in the tempo right. of conflict, too, and to get swept up in it, and it gets really physical, and it gets energetic, and it gets fast, and just... Taking a breath, practicing the pause, and taking a second to figure out, okay, let me get curious about my own experience right now. What is the story I'm telling myself? Absolutely. And I think that that, it does, it allows for curiosity. And and the gift of curiosity is compassion. Because then when I hear you say something like, gosh, you know, the story I'm telling myself is that, you know, this and this and this. It's like, oh, Wow. Are you really? That's what you think? Oh, wow. I didn't realize that. And I can be compassionate, one, toward your vulnerability for putting voice to your story. And two, like you said, usually there's gaps. And sometimes the gaps are really sad. And some of the stories that we have are about not feeling seen, not feeling heard, understood, uh, supported, and, you know, in relationship, we, we want to do those things for each other. And so right. when it becomes about that, when it becomes about the core issues, that's, I think, where the, the compassion can really be the strongest when we use this kind of framework. Right. Right. And it's, as you said, you know, it's so powerful when it's in relationship. And then even as we were talking before about inside of ourselves, be able to do those check-ins and say, okay, 
I'm breathing hard. My neck is tight. My chest is, you know, going to pound out. Um, I, I don't know what to do. I'm feeling overwhelmed. Even telling ourselves, what is the story I'm telling myself right now that's leading to all of this, these physical sensations? So sometimes, you know, we'll use the term flooding to describe physiologically in your body what is happening. Um, you know, this is not a psychology thing. This is not a, hey, change your mindset thing. This is like, no, your body is actually doing this right now. Your heart rate is actually through the roof. Your breathing is actually way up. Your brain has actually released these chemicals into your body telling it, you know, it's time for a fight or flight right now. You better get ready. And that is not going to be the time to have an in-depth conversation with your partner. Yeah. That is not going to be the time to um, try and have a really close connecting learning conversation with each other when all that stuff is physiologically already going on. When you're already flooded like that, you're not going to be at your best. It's just not possible. Yeah. There's not a, a two-minute thing you're going to do that's going to make that all better. There is maybe a 30-minute thing where if you go take a walk around the block, let that stuff settle down, come back together, your body has, after probably about 30 to 45 minutes, metabolized those chemicals out, your breathing rate's gone down, your heart rate's gone down. Hey, let's talk about that story I've been telling myself, because mm -hmm. here's how I think that's affecting me. Wow. Oh, I love that. Some other tips for, you know, kind of bringing yourself back into your body. Because when you do get flooded, that higher functioning, that thought language and organization system and that prefrontal cortex, like that goes offline when you're in that, that triggered space. Sure. Right. So even just, you know, taking a second to just shake, like shake mm -hmm. your arms, like shake it off, you know, kind of like people use the example of a deer caught in headlights that almost gets hit, yep. how it shakes and then it moves on. And that can be really helpful. Um, sometimes bilateral tapping, so tapping one leg and then the other, yeah. uh, can really help to reduce some of that stimulation. Um, you know, even just noticing like, okay, fast five. This is one of my favorites. Like, okay, I'm really worked up right now. Like, this is really, I feel threatened. Okay. My nervous system's off. So fast five is, you know, what can I feel what can I see? What can I hear? What can I smell? What can I taste? Yeah. Using all of our senses, which is where that, where this energy is coming from. Like that's the language that part of the brain speaks is sensation. So when we can connect to our surroundings, it really helps to regulate the nervous system, which I think when you're talking about flooding, that's what you're talking about is nervous system regulation. Right. Yeah. yeah. And also touch. Touch from another person can be really regulating. Sure. So even just like, you know, having someone give you a hug or, you know, touching someone's hand or, you know, being shoulder to shoulder sometimes, even just like a physical touch, like, okay, I can feel Tim's knee right here, <laughs> or I can feel your hand, you right. know, that can also be calming as well. Absolutely. And I think, again, I mean, and this is about the curiosity part, you know, knowing yourself and, you know, there's probably going to be moments where if you're too high strung, you're not going to want to be touched maybe in that moment. But 15 minutes later, as you're starting to settle down, hey, I may not be all the way there, but I'm ready for that hug now. Yeah. I'd really like that hug now. Now's a great time for it. 
And that's just one way to start bringing that connection to our partners back around as we get ready to hopefully have a better conversation at that point. Yeah. And I love that you use that other C word. You know, we've talked about curiosity and compassion, but connection, and that's the goal of conflict is to connect, to really understand the other person's perspective and to gain more insight into what makes this person tick, like what makes them, you know, them. And one of the the common things that I hear from, from couples and from individuals is defensiveness and arguments. Sure. And that, I mean, we don't know anything about that. No, that's other people. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Okay. Um, But one of the things that we have learned about defensiveness in conflict is kind of this magic swap that you can do. It's Magic. There it is again. (laughs) It feels magical because it actually works. And it takes a lot of practice and because you're, you're creating a new neural pathway. There's a lot of pathways that we have in our brains, especially when we're activated and we're in conflict that say that go directly to blame. Sure. Like you didn't do the dishes. You're working too much. You didn't clean the floor. You didn't do this. You, this, you always do this. And it's, Really, we're feeling emotional about something. We're activated about something. We have a need that isn't being met. And rather than being able to say, I have a need that isn't being met, it comes out as you, you, you. Right. Like you're the problem. You need to change your behavior. You need to do these things differently. And I don't know about you, but there's nothing that's going to put me on the defensive quicker than someone saying, I'm doing something wrong. Right. Right. Especially as, you know, they're usually not coming to you with a smile on their face doing it and in a calm tone of voice that it's going to be, you know, raised voices. It's going to be the scowl on the face. It's going to be the finger pointing at you, Mm. telling you all the things that you're doing wrong with your life. And for the most part, we don't want to hear that. Yeah. Or at least that's not something that is helpful to us um, unless we're asking for that feedback, which again, this is not what we're talking about, where people are just coming at us with the UUUs and I'm going to put my hands up to defend myself and say, nope, not interested in that. Well, here's what you're doing wrong and yeah. here's where you screwed up and here's why, because what you did, then now I had to work more. I had to do this and it becomes a blame game. And so that you cycle, that you finger pointing communication doesn't help us. Nope. I feel like nobody wins in the blame game. Right. Nobody wins. Like blaming it, it doesn't get you anywhere. Yet that seems to be where we all gravitate toward is blame because it feels really vulnerable to put voice to the story I'm telling myself, or even, even more vulnerable is, Hey, you know what? Like, here's this, this insecurity that I have, or here's this need that I have. Right. And when this happens, so like for us, a common one is the dishes. I'm sure nobody out there listening has this argument with their, their person (laughs) that it's just us, but I'm thinking it's not. And I anecdotally have heard it's not. But one of the things is, is like even just getting passive aggressive about the dishes and like, you didn't do the dishes. Like, I think I even said that to you tonight (laughs) as they came in from work. Sure. 
You didn't do the dishes. I always get the dishes done. How come you didn't get the dishes done? And that didn't express the deeper need, which was I'm tired. Yeah. And I just, I want to be able to go and rest, but there are things that need to get done. And I feel like I need to do those things before I can rest. So really, it's the story I'm telling myself is, is that I have to earn my rest. And so instead of being able to say that to you, it comes across as passive aggressively slamming the dishwasher or noisily doing dishes with lots of sighs and grunts and, (laughs) you know, lots of hostility. Sure. Instead of being able to say that. So what is the magic and I call it magic because I really do think it is. What's the magic swap that we can do here when we want to lob the use at the other person? What's something else that we could do? Well, it gets back to, I mean, our conversation a minute ago was that you're being curious. So when I'm getting ready to say, hey, here's how you're screwing up. Hey, how do I be curious about myself for a minute? How do I be curious about what's going on with me? What are those feelings you mentioned a few minutes ago about, you know, the dish? I'm, what's going on with me is I'm tired. I feel like I have to earn my rest. And if dishes had been done earlier, then I wouldn't have to worry about them now. And so here's what's going on for me. So being able to do that in your head is a great first step. Yeah. And then to our partner then is now the second step of, um, and so instead of saying you, it's the I statements. It's, hey, here's what's going on inside of me. I would really love to get some rest and I don't feel like I can right now because the dishes are here. And so can you help me with the dishes? Something along those Mm -hmm. lines where we're focusing that energy on what's going on inside of me. What am I hoping for? What's a good outcome here? Better rest, more time together later tonight. The, The good things that can come of this. And here's what I'm wanting that we're keeping the, uh, sometimes I like to say, you know, we're keeping our fingers pointed at ourselves. What is going on at me as opposed to here's what you're not doing. Um, mm-hmm. Here's what I would love. I would love for this to happen. Here's how I'm feeling right now. Here's what's going on inside of me. Can you please support me in this? That when I'm keeping the fingers pointed here at myself and addressing my partner, chances are I'm going to get a much better response than when those fingers point the other direction and it's all you, 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 and here's what you're not doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. And it's it's taking responsibility in relationship, responsibility for our own feelings and responsibility for our own stories and really giving us agency then and really inviting the other person into curiosity and compassion. Yeah. And there's a much different energy around that when you're when you're taking responsibility versus the blaming energy which is really low and icky and disempowering for both people sure whereas the i statements can really they just it, it invites growth for both individuals mm-hmm. i think and you know maybe we can give like a couple of practical examples of you statements turned into i statements So maybe if there's like a common fight that you hear among couples or uh, we could use some personal examples. (laughs) Are there any that pop off the top of your head? 
I mean, I think the, the dishes and household chores are classic examples of yeah. being able to just say, here's what you're not doing. Mm-hmm. Here's another time that you did it this way. You weren't being considerate of me. You did this. Um, and I think that, the, again, the more that that happens, the more distance we're going to have from people as opposed to connection. So just trying to have that idea of knowing what is the story I'm telling myself right now. And before I even come to my partner, I want to know my story. I want to have some idea of being able to say, hey, here's what my story is right now so that I can come to Kim and say, here's what's going on inside of me. I would love some help with this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it when you use feeling words. I find that to be incredibly helpful um, when you say, you know, I'm really feeling this. Because that's one, it is about you and it invites me into your story and into what's happening for you. And it also kind of takes, it kind of slows things down. Oh, he's, you just used a feeling word. Okay. Like I'm feeling really sad. I'm feeling really frustrated. I'm feeling really uh, scared or I'm feeling really upset. You know, we don't have to get fancy with words. But just letting people, you know, letting your person know, like, I'm feeling this way. Yep. Versus like, you know, you, you work too much. You're working all the time. You know, how could that be turned into an I statement? Yeah. I would love to spend more time with you. Oh, yeah. I miss you. I want us to be able to have quality time together. I want us to be able to, you know, fill in the blank with go out to dinner or do these other activities or spend time with our kids and just relax and watch a TV show and, you know, be able to spend that time, you know, not working or not doing some other project that be nice to have less, less going on that we can say, Hey, no, here's the good thing that I want more of. How do we work together to get this good thing more often? More sex, less stress, more sex, Less stress. Sorry. Was that just me? Netflix and chill popped into my head. And then I was like, hmm, (laughs) more sex, less stress. That's what I want. Work less, more sex. There you go. There you go. That works in in most situations. Uh, Just kidding. Okay. So I I love love that. And it does. It opens up the, the intimacy channel. And we haven't even talked about that as far as, you know, for especially for women, uh, there's more of a emotional warm up that needs to happen, and so when there's a lot of, you know, you statements and a lot of ways that we feel like we're blaming each other, it's really hard to come together yeah. and be intimate. A lot of people think like, "Gosh, you know, I just, I just don't want to be intimate with my partner in any way." Sure. And when there's that you and that undercurrent of blame, well, of course not. Right. And that doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with you. I think, you know, there's for men and women and there's just a real strong what's wrong with me. Sure. That this is happening and I think it really comes down to to the connection piece. If we're not connecting, we're not going to want to be intimate. Right. So how can we shift not the intimacy piece necessarily, but shift the connection piece? And it sounds like this is, you know, a really great way to start doing that is to notice kind of recapping what we've been talking about curiosity, right. what's, what's happening for me, what's happening for my person and then compassion around that and then connecting. Okay. Well, if, 
you know, I don't have to convince you yeah. that this is true. You can have your truth and I can have my truth and we can be curious about each other's truths right? and each other's stories. And it doesn't have to be this like huge thing. You know, I think sometimes conflict can feel intimidating because it takes a long time. Right. And so if we're, if we're thinking about how to reduce conflict time, what do you think are some tips around that so that it's not something that drags out super long? Like how can people resolve conflict faster? Well, I mean, again, perfect world. We want to be able to have these conversations even about how we're going to do conflict when we're not in a conflict. That's really good. So how do we as partners come together and say, hey, it's a Friday night. Everything's totally fine. Let's talk about how we want to do conflict in the future. Let's make this a proactive conversation to say, hey, everything's totally fine tonight. So next time there is a conflict, though, how do we do it better? How do we come together and be able to say, hey, here's what the story I'm telling myself is. Hey, here's the I statements that I'm communicating to you as opposed to the finger point and the you statements. Um, if one of us does start to get escalated or flooded uh, emotionally and that we're just not at our best, hey, you know what? I'm going to take a break right now. I'm going to go take half hour, 45 minutes go for a walk, do some journaling, do some deep breathing, do some grounding practices, um, go do these things. And then I'm going to come back. You know, mm. that that's the key there too, is that we're always yeah. still letting our partner know, Hey, if I'm stepping away, I also need you to know that, Hey, in 45 minutes, I'm coming back that I'm not just walking out the door and you have no earthly idea if, or when I'm coming back <sighs> that yeah. we're not going to now set our partners up to be flooded emotionally going, where did they just go? When are they coming back? Are they coming back? I don't know that now if there isn't that communication, we've just set them up to feel flooded and we walk back in the door feeling great and they're not in a place to have a conversation because they're the ones now flooded and anxious and ticked off because we just were gone for 45 minutes and they had no idea what was happening. So we're going to have this conversation at a time when things are going good so that we can say to each other, Hey, what are some ground rules? What are some guidelines we want to have in place for our conflicts? Mm -hmm. Can we agree on A, B, C, and D that we're going to do or not do in those times? And maybe we're even going to write these down just mm. so that they're obvious and clear and in yeah. black and white. And we're not arguing about it later. That we're saying, hey, here's the four guidelines that we have. And this is what we're going to do. That we're going to be proactive with it and set ourselves up well first and not just hope that, oh, well, we listened to that podcast three weeks ago with Tim and Kim, so we got it. Um, and Of course just, you do. You've gonna, got it. <laughs> we're just going to magically remember everything, and it's going to go great, even though we never talked about it. Yeah. Um, no, we're going to have multiple conversations about it, help set ourselves up well. And then at the end of it all, the G word, we're going to be gracious with ourselves and gracious with each other and say, hey, we had that conflict last night. How'd that go? Did that huh. go okay? Do we like what we did? Did we follow the guidelines that we had for ourselves? Did we forget something? Did one of us go off the deep end because they were feeling flooded and forgot? Like what, what happened? What worked well for us and we're going to keep doing? And then was there anything that didn't work very well for us that maybe we need to come up with a new idea or come up with a new way to do it so that we don't forget next time? 
so that that conflict can actually be productive as opposed to just crashing and burning again. Oh, I love that. So like setting yourselves up for success, both on the proactive side and then the responsive side. Like yes. Just kind of sandwiching it with, okay, like here's how, here, what did you learn from this? And like, what can we do better for next time? Right. I love that. Are there any rules around conflict that couples should have? So as you know, I really love to <laughs> talk about deep things right around 10 o'clock at night. That's the sweet spot for me. That is not your sweet spot. And that gets us into trouble sometimes. Sure. And then we're tired, but we're now we've unearthed this conflict. So are there rules around like timing that people should be aware of? Or what do you think about that? Well, I mean, again, just being curious with ourselves and with each other. So that is one of the things that you and I have, like I said, we've talked about and we are, I think, getting better at, but also there's still probably room for more figuring out as far as timing goes. What are you saying, Tim? That you're doing it wrong, Kim, <laughs> and <laughs> that we need to come together and have communication around it. Um, that So you ask for rules around conflict and just like how we're setting it up well. Um, I mean, one of the rules is, just like we talked about a minute ago, you know, if someone needs a break, they get a break. Yeah. You know, what yeah, we're not fair. doing is saying no one's leaving this room until we hash this mm-hmm. out. No one's going to bed tonight until we get to the bottom of this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think some of us have heard the phrase, you know, don't go to bed and let the sun set on your anger and those kind of things. It's like, yeah, I mean, that's great in practicality. I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, in a perfect world again, that would be nice. But also, hey, if it is, 11 p.m., 12 p.m., we got kids, we got work the next day, and we're not getting to the bottom of it yet. We got to be able to say, like, hey, you know what? At a certain time, we're going to pause. And we're not saying that, you know, we've come to a resolution. We're just saying, hey, you know what? We don't have a resolution yet. And tomorrow night or this weekend, we're going to revisit this. Yeah. But once it gets to be a certain time of night, we're just not going to be our best. And we're setting ourselves up again, I think, for failure when we let it go too long. Mm -hmm. Um, So, again, those are nice conversations to have in advance so that we both know, like, hey, once it gets to be 1030 or whatever time you decide, that's when we're stopping. And we also agree, though, too, we are coming back to this. Just like with the person who takes a break is coming back at a certain time. If we're taking a break from this conversation, pausing it for the night, we're agreeing, hey, we're going to come back to this. Tomorrow when the kids go to bed or, again, this weekend when we have more time. Um, we're setting that up as part of our rules. Yeah. Um, and then just, you know, in general, rules for respect. Um, hey, most people don't like name calling. So I've never seen name calling be an effective form of communication. Are you sure, though? <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> I question this one. Hmm? So just thinking, whether it's name calling, whether it's, are there certain phrases or terms that Mm. just rub certain people the wrong way? Um, Can we agree to just not use those phrases or terms? Um, Maybe you don't think they're bad. Maybe you think that they're okay. But if your partner really has a problem with it, then again, we're setting ourselves up for failure. Um, You know, I'm a big fan of the word helpful. What is helpful in our communication? Mm. Um, I don't 
you know, I don't want to make it a moral issue and saying my way of communicating is right and your way of communicating is wrong. Mm-hmm. It's not a moral judgment that your way is right versus the other way that's wrong. We're just saying, hey, what is going to be more helpful for the two of us to get the result that we want? Yeah, I like that. And just being aware of even your body language too. You know, you talked about name calling, but body language is huge because yeah. 90% of communication is nonverbal. It's like there's, is, is that the right stat? I feel like I just made that up. You could have made that up. That sounds like it might be true. Most of, we'll say most, because I don't know. It's that more than half. It's I more honestly than... don't know the number. <laughs> I like to make up statistics, <laughs> but it is. Our nonverbal cues are really as powerful as our words. And, you know, looking at body language too, if you're noticing that you're shutting down, like crossing your arms over your chest and you're kind of rounding your shoulders or you're drooping your eyebrows or really frowning, you know, being aware of those cues as well. And mm-hmm. maybe taking a breath and just, you know, breathing into tight spaces and taking a second for yourself. And right. that can really be beneficial for both sides as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And I do agree. Name calling is not. <laughs> it just it just feels right sometimes. <laughs> it's just so fun. <laughs> Except for when it's not. Except when it's not. And being aware of facial expressions, too. I think that's another thing, you know, that we've learned is, you know, the story I'm telling myself is that your your face is saying one thing and your words are saying another. Can right. you help me understand what it is that you're really saying? Right. Because I'm getting two different, two different inputs mm-hmm. here. And so that can be really helpful as well as just being aware of your face. Breathing during conflict, it's easy to stop breathing when we get heightened emotions. Yeah. So being aware of breath, face, body language, uh, name calling language. um, Right. Even swearing sometimes can be a trigger. Sure. You know, and can escalate those fights even more too. So trying to not edit yourself, but to be gracious and be kind with words. And if that's a far stretch, just being even like neutral with the words that you're saying. Right. Because words do have power. So when I start lobbing F-bombs at you, that's not going to put you at ease and get you into compassionate curiosity. That's probably going to make you more defensive. Right. And, you know, when you say, you know, it's not just about editing ourselves. It's not editing what we really think is true, but it is editing the specific word choice at times, what we're doing. Are you disagreeing with me? I am disagreeing with you, Kim. No, there's only one truth. Get on my side. (laughs) (laughs) That the idea of, you know, we say, hey, I don't want to have to edit myself. You know, again, what I think you mean is, hey, I don't have to edit the message that I'm really trying to deliver. And so, hey, if the message that I'm really trying to deliver is X, but because I'm using some named calling or because I'm using certain curse words or because I'm using certain phrases that just rub my partner a certain way, they're never going to hear X. All they're going to hear is Y. And Y is not what I'm trying to communicate. I'm trying to communicate X. But the word choice I have, my partner will not hear that. And so if I really want my partner to hear X from me, how do I help that to happen? How do I help make that easier for them? How do I potentially edit some of my word choice 
Not because I'm trying to say that, hey, what I really believe in my heart is wrong, but these certain words are messing up my delivery. They're actually getting in the way of my communication right now as opposed to enhancing it. Yeah. I love that. Okay. Two truths, but I'm now on your side of it. Okay. (laughs) To be fair. Okay. So I think as we wrap up, I think it's just really important to normalize conflict in relationship. Yep. I think I'm going to say most people, I'm going to make that kind of a statement right now. Most people walk around with the assumption or story that conflict is bad and that there's something wrong with the relationship if there's conflict. Right. Can we just take a second and just normalize conflict? Can we do that? I, I, I hope we're doing that today. I hope that that's what's coming across today is that conflict, again, is something that we're all going to have. And so since we're choosing to not bury things under the rug, since we're choosing to not pretend that things aren't really a problem when they are, we're also choosing to say, hey, sometimes conflict will occur. And so at the end of the day, we want to be able to say, it's not about do I have conflict or don't I? It's, again, back to the word helpful. What is helpful conflict versus what is conflict that is just destructive and making us be further and further apart? Yeah. How do we, at the end of the day, be able to say, hey, you know what? We had an argument. We had some conflict. And at the end of it, though, I actually understood my partner better. Yeah. I actually understood what was going on inside them. I actually understood what that story they were telling themselves was. And we were able to get to the bottom of it. Or we're at least able to understand each other better. And tomorrow we're going to have to continue that conversation, but we're on the right track. Yeah. And that the goal isn't necessarily to reduce the frequency of conflict, but really to improve the ways that we're showing up in it. Right. I think that's another kind of sticky point, too, is it's like, you know, well, we've been together for X amount of years or this long and we still have conflict. Like, what's wrong with us? And there's nothing wrong with you. Nope. And it's not about reducing the amount of times that you experience conflict, but it's about learning and moving closer and closer to connecting through conflict rather than it being something that's dividing us or something that we're scared of. Right. Right. Because I think a lot of people enter into conflict with fear, fear that the other person's going to leave, fear that they're going to be misunderstood, fear that this is meaning doom for the relationship. And I just feel like it's so important <laughs> for people to hear that it's it's okay. Conflict is is actually healthy. I mean, can we even use that word in this context? I think we can, but it's- I, I think we need to. Healthy. And mm-hmm. if we view it that way, if both people are coming to conflict, they're coming to the table- with, hey, this is an opportunity for us to grow, not only inwardly, but together in connection. And this is something that's going to help us. Is it uncomfortable? For sure. Are we going to bumble it? Probably. Right. But it doesn't have to mean these other things. Like, And that can even be a part of your conversations proactively. Like the story that I have about conflict is that it's bad. Right. The story I have is that you're going to leave if we have conflict. Or that there's something wrong with us. Right. And since conflict is bad and it means there's something wrong with us, then we don't want to do it. So then we try to avoid it. And then we do actually do it. 
then it's really awful and terrible because we've been putting it off for a while and we start yelling at each other. And so the problem isn't that we're having conflict. The problem is we're having destructive conflict. We're having unhelpful conflict. We're having disrespectful conflict. Mm -hmm. We're having conflict that is not going to help us understand each other better. We're just having conflict that's going to tick us off and make us feel even further and further apart. Yep. I love that. Uh, I feel like I have so many more topics that just keep coming up as far as like, how do we model conflict for our kids and like what's appropriate in front of other people and how do we deal with conflict when we're not in this, you know, security of our home, but we're out in public. And maybe that can be another conversation that we have. Um, But I think that feels like a good spot to, to pause for this moment. Okay. Well, Tim, thank you so much for taking time away from whatever it is that doing, we do Doing the night. dishes. Doing dishes. Because <laughs> I love doing the dishes every day, all the time. <laughs> but thank you for, for sharing some of your experience and your expertise with us. And yeah, it's great. I appreciate it. Absolutely. You. Thank you for the conversation. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. I really hope that it helped you, that there was something in there that maybe you didn't know before or a new tool that you can use moving forward to help you feel more empowered around conflict and that you would feel able to express your needs to your partner and to be able to even get a better understanding of what your needs are and that conflict would become less of a scary or threatening thing and more of something that you might even look forward to as odd as that sounds because it becomes a way to really understand your partner better and to deepen your relationship so again a big thank you to Tim Ludeman if you are interested in learning more about his practice uh, he has a really great website www.com Lighthouse Counseling PDX, PDX.com. So, Lighthouse Counseling PDX.com. And you can learn more about his counseling offerings. Again, he works with individuals and couples, does telehealth. So, if you're in the state of Oregon and you want to work with the fabulous Tim Ludeman, uh, which I highly recommend, then I would head over and check out his website. If you're interested in learning more about brain spotting and how brain spotting can help with conflict, which it a million percent can, then I would recommend heading over to kimludeman.com where you can learn more about what brain spotting is. That's the work that I do in the world and how that can really empower you to stay in your body, to stay grounded, stay present uh, when you are in the midst of conflict. Because as we've talked about, a lot of times the the root of our nervous system dysregulation or when we become flooded or our emotions become almost too much to handle in conflict, that's usually rooted in in some sort of wounding or traumatic event. So brain spotting helps to reprocess that and release it. So if you're interested to learn more about that, again, highly recommend kimludeman.com. So excited for this. I can't wait to hear your feedback. Uh, If you love this episode and you feel like you learned something from it or you have questions, I would love to hear from you. You can email Kim at CaptivatinglyConfident.com and I would just love to hear your thoughts and hopefully we can have 
Tim back on the show and answer some of your burning couple questions. So may you go forward feeling less scared or less intimidated by conflict and may you feel more empowered to connect with compassionate curiosity to not only your partner but to your children to your friends family members yeah may you feel seen and understood i'll see you next time